internet. I'm your husband host, Travis McElroy. And I'm your wife host, Teresa McElroy. And you're listening to Schmanners. It's extraordinary etiquette. For ordinary occasions. Hello, my dove. Hello, dear. How are you? Uh, I'm getting better. I drank my coffee way too fast. Mm. And it felt like my eyes were shaking. Oh, boy. Yeah. Okay. Also had a little bit of a rumbly tumbly from that. Mm. Don't don't drink your coffee so fast. Mm. Don't do that. Oh, yes. First-hand experience. Do not recommend. Okay. Well, if I catch you doing it again, it's straight to the asylum with you. <laughs> yes, indeed. No, that's a joke. I would never let you get medical help of, of any not. kind, let alone psychiatric. Uh, well, that was a great lead-in because we are talking about a very spooky topic. Yes. Victorian asylums. Okay. Yeah. This is a thing. Um, I have, uh, I, I wouldn't say it's like it's in every book I've ever read, but it's one of those things that from just kind of collected, you know, understanding of stories and stuff, it seems like a thing that uh, husbands uh-huh. were constantly just sending like, oh, this lady talked back to me. She's got, uh, Hysteria, get in there. Or she's got ideas about women being able to vote or whatever. Whoo, time it is for a, asylums. a pretty common trope um, within movies and TVs and books, especially like the um, the murder mysteries and stuff that you like to listen to. A lot of asylum things. Asylum things. Um, and hysteria, the actual like medical diagnosis of hysteria was not was not really the thing at this point. That's a very ancient Greek feeling. Okay. Um, the idea that the uterus was actually causing problems by moving around the body. Mm. They, they pretty much figured that one out. They were like, mm, no. Now we know that it actually causes problems by staying too still. <laughs> and it's like, hey, we got to wake up that uterus. Let's get that uterus moving around. Um, but- if the uterus stays in place for too long, grows moss. And then once that moss grows, oh, you're going to feel bad. Belly in, moss. In, any, anyway, um, but insanity did have very, very loose definitions mm. at the time. Um, and, and you're right that there, there were definitely um, some behaviors that were deemed unacceptable by society or husbands. Um, and this did often get people who didn't have any kind of like let's say financial stake in the in the like relationship mm-hmm. it would get them ta- uh, like committed okay so what are we actually ta- what 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 are we talking about today well today um i'd like to talk about uh first of all how asylums came to be um okay. and and then how one might get committed to an asylum okay um for example <laughs> if you had a quote successful séance and talked about your ghosts and the things that you saw. You could get committed. Really? Even once spiritualism I, was a big thing? I know. Isn't that so terrible? Like, huh. the idea that if you bought in too much, right? Everybody kind of understood that it okay. was a little bit, like, just fashion, right? Okay. But if you bought in too much, that was a problem. Anyway, so asylums weren't originally meant at their conception to be desolate and terrible places. Okay. Okay. The first large-scale asylums popped up in the early 1800s, although before that, there were certainly um, places that people who um, had money could could 
send their the people they were concerned about, usually older family members or people who had some other type of um, uh, maybe disability, physical, mental, any of that sort of thing. Something that a family felt they couldn't handle. Okay. Right? Um, and so you either could send them away to be cared for discreetly. You could buy care to be paid for to 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 care for them at home or if you didn't have money what oftentimes happened is these these poor people ended up on the streets oh okay um and so prisons and workhouses were also places where disadvantaged people ended up and um, let's you know what i'm i'm just gonna put the tiger on the table and yell at it to say that is not not what happens now you know what true. i mean this idea of poor people uh, who can't afford to get help when they need it uh, ending up being on the street or in prison uh, is sadly not gone away. Um, but the word asylum actually means retreat, refuge, or sanctuary. And there were certainly sanctuaries run by religious figures as shelters sure. for the mentally ill. One of the oldest ones dates back to um, 1247. Wow. Um, and was started as part of the priority of the new order of Our Lady of Bethlehem in the city of London. They need to come up with a shorter title. I know, for that. it's way too long. Yeah, man. <laughs> um, but Not good SEO on that either. Too many words in there. But the ones that we're talking about, mainly in the 1800s, were supposed to be kind of like psychiatric hospitals. Sure. Right? The idea was that treatment could be applied to people to rehabilitate, to uh, reintroduce them to society. But that's not exactly what happened because um, many patients were treated as and often referred to as inmates at wow. these facilities because the fact of the matter is even the best doctors at the time did not know how to help these people, and some of them didn't even care about well, it. Well, it also should be noted, like, if rich family is paying, like, I'm going to send my person there to have them taken care of, you are then incentivized as the place getting paid the money, right? Certainly. If you are unscrupulous, you're incentivized to be like, yeah, they need to stay longer, right? So you keep getting that money. Sure, absolutely, that that definitely happened. Um, and so one of the things that was used as, quote, treatment, but was probably not really treatment, was the use of restraints. Mm. Um, and restraints can be helpful uh, if someone is an actual danger to themselves. Um, not really danger to others. There's different things that you can do for that. But especially if they are incapable of preventing physical harm to themselves, restraint in periods can be useful. But a lot of the time it was just, well, let's kind of just put a person in a straitjacket and then put them in a room and they're yeah. fine. And that's not how it works. Um, and one of the there was actually a major reform uh, in 1829. A patient at the Lincoln Asylum in England um, was left in a restraint overnight and perished <gasps> from from the restraint. Um, and so that facility, because of that tragedy, abolished the use of all physical restraints. Okay. Um, which I suppose is a sort of bright spot in this in this uh. dark uh, dark stain, right? Um, but they weren't all nightmares. Uh, this legislation that I talked about 
helped to shift the national attitude toward actual mental health care. Um, and this is referred to as the shift from custody to care. Okay. Um, and so, you know, if they could not help people reintegrate into society, they could at least alleviate pain, right? Sure. Was this idea of caring for people. Um, and so mental illness began to be recognized as something that could be alleviated or even cured. Um, and the different states began to sponsor asylums before they were pretty much privately owned, right? Um, which led to the kind of like extortion that you were talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, but with without that incentive of the private money, I mean, if the state takes care of it, that's the idea, right? Yeah. Is that you can't extort people like that. Um, and so there was definitely scientific knowledge being gained at the time. And so it was supposed to be a move towards actual health care. Got it. And there are plenty of people throughout history who actually devoted their lives to a more empathetic and humane form of medical health, of mental health care. Um, one person named William Took founded a private mental institution outside of York called The Retreat in the late 1700s. So this is just before the heyday and the Reformation kind of of, of mental asylums. Um, and he pioneered the idea of non-restraint even before it was deemed uh, unnecessary and cruel um, because he believed that people with mental illness should be treated like everyone else and um, patients were expected to dine at a table, make polite tea conversation, do regular chores, things like that. I mean, it was flawed because they were they were heavily scrutinized and supervised and there were punishments if you didn't do these things and, and stuff like that. So it wasn't wasn't perfect, obviously, um, but it wasn't the kind of like haunted house fodder that we mm. think of yeah. when we think of like an asylum. Right. Um, Harriet Martineau was another important character at this time of social reform. Uh, She's actually hailed as one of the first female social scientists. Uh, She was a prolific writer and researcher. She talked about early feminism, and she commentaried a lot on American politics and the horrors of slavery. Um, And she was one of the many champions who wrote about mental health reform, especially about running asylums at the time. Um, and it's, you know, it was something, it was a an idea, I think, that maybe came from a good place but was not good at all in practice. I do want to talk a little bit about Nellie Bly. I want to talk about Nellie Bly too. But first, how about a word from some other Max Fun shows? You're in a theater. The lights go down. You're about to get swept up by the characters and all their little details and interpersonal dramas. You look at them and think, that person is so obviously in love with their best friend. Wait, am I in love with my best friend? That character's mom is so overbearing. Why doesn't she just stand up to her? Oh, God, do I need to stand up to my own mother? If you've ever recognized yourself in a movie, then join me, Jordan Cruciola, for the podcast Feeling Seen. 
We've talked to author Susan Orlean on realizing her own marriage was falling apart after watching Adaptation, an adaptation of her own work, and comedian Hari Kondabolu on why Harold and Kumar was a depressingly important movie for Southeast Asians. So join me every Thursday for the Feeling Scene podcast here on Maximum Fun. Her Majesty served Great Britain and the Commonwealth loyally for over 70 years. And while, of course, we feel a profound sadness, we must remember she lived a long life and died in such a way that I think many of us would want for ourselves. She was at home, surrounded by her family. And, of course, she was listening to the Beef and Dairy Network podcast. The Beef and Dairy Network podcast is a multi-award-winning comedy podcast and you can find it at MaximumFun.org or wherever you get your podcasts. So here is what I know about Nellie Bly. From? Drunk History. (laughs) I love it. Yes. Well, can I tell you what's... um, There's a moment in Drunk History, and this happens quite often, in Drunk History where the guy is telling a story and his name is JD something. Um, and I know him from uh, a web series called Yacht Rock that he was in, where he played a young Michael McDonald. Okay. Um, and he's drunk and talking to his dog. And he goes, You crazy, Nelly. You crazy. <laughs> and I think about that all the time. But here's what I remember okay. that Nelly Bly was an investigative journalist mm-hmm. in a time, especially where it was rare to be, uh, uh, to have an investigative journalist that was a woman, let alone good at their job, and that cared and wasn't just like getting paid money to do a thing. Yeah. And she set out to do an expose, exposing, hence the term, uh, the the like mental health facilities and their treatment of women specifically. So she went to uh, Blackwell Island, which is off the coast of New York. It's a very infamous asylum. Yeah, she had herself committed. And then, like, by doing the very, like, uh, very bare minimum of of strange actions, yeah. Um. So apparently, all she really did was, um, she changed her name and got a uh, room at a um uh, at a boarding house, and she wandered the halls, yelled incoherently, and refused to go to sleep. Got committed. Yep, that was okay. it. They called the police, and the police took her to the asylum. Okay. And then yeah. she had a deal with her, like the editor, the people who had hired her, that after mm-hmm. a couple of days, they would come get her out. Right. So then they got her out and were like, actually, this is Nellie Bly. Ha ha. She got you. And she wrote about the experience. And people were like, oh, that's bad. This is bad. And it led to reform. This right. is where it starts to get kind of drunk history esque. <laughs> okay. So while she was in there, Um, Some of the things that she discovered is that um, a lot of the people who were in there who were women were women who did not speak English. Mm. Um, So they had no way of communicating or advocating for themselves. Um, And so this is just where they were. They ended up. Right. Um, And there was no way for them to convince anyone that they should be somewhere. They didn't have anyone on the outside trying to get them. There was no translation available, nothing. Um, And she found that the, you know, it, it was a very, there were very terrible conditions, things like 
People being forced to eat spoiled food, take freezing baths, sit for hours at a time without moving. Um, And most of the people did not have any, like, I'm not going to say that they didn't have any mental illness, but they didn't have mental illness that was debilitating enough to warrant around-the-clock care, right? Um, And so what what we really found out is that... uh, This is where a lot of marginalized people at the time ended up in an attempt to, quote, clean up the streets. Oh, okay. Right. So some uh, some BS. Indeed. Indeed. Um, And then, of course, what we were talking about a little earlier was the idea that these were people being committed um, by their husbands or fathers or you know, just their their guardians, because they didn't, quote, behave. Right. Right. Um, and so here are some of the most unsettling reasons why someone could be committed. Okay, bra- brace yourself? Yeah. Um, you were assertive and ambitious. Okay, well, okay. You smoked. Now, it should also, I assume here, we're talking about when you say people could be committed. Yes. Women. Women. I mean, mostly women. Because I, I think just like that, you were assertive. doesn't feel like a thing they'd be like, that young man's assertive. Put him in a straitjacket. That doesn't feel like something. That doesn't feel like something that would have happened. Um, if you were a minor and you were not behaving in the way that, that your guardians thought that you would be and you were, quote, too assertive or oh. or not, you know, a rule breaker and would, wouldn't follow the rules and things like that, you okay. could be committed. Okay. Um, if you masturbated or liked sex. Because mm. that's not allowed. Um, if you like to read, what? Yeah. So if you were a reader, just pretend like you hated it. Like, ugh, another book. I wish I had something else to do. I think it was more about that you preferred the company of books oh. to anyone else, right? Um, if your family already had been committed, making your madness hereditary. Oh yeah, that's a thing too. If you um, a lot of uh, like uh, detective novels from like you know turn of the century and stuff, or like movies up to a certain point where there's like there's some weird going on. There's always the question of is there a history of mental illness in your family? Right. I'd be like, I, I don't. Yeah, man. Historically, probably yes. <laughs> everyone could say yes to some degree. Um, you were too religious. Mm, a religious uh, fanatic, or maybe zealot, or f- religious fervor. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, one might say. Um, but like, like I said, if you had, if you were more into like the spiritualism than was fashionable, right? If you really believed that you had seen a ghost or things like that, um, there was just this fine line that somebody could say you had crossed, right? Yeah, and when you say fine line, oh, completely made up, completely yes. arbitrary too. Yes, this arbitrary line. This was another thing that I, you know, without researching i feel confident saying that there were certain people in society whose word carried more weight than other people indeed so it also made it really really difficult um and this is unfortunately true um of a lot of cases of like people who someone's like ah they need to go uh, be committed is that in your denials of it people would say like ah this is a symptom in and of itself um and, uh, you know, the this thing of, like, if I said, ah, she's too religious or, you know, whatever, 
anything you say, mm-hmm. right, doesn't carry as much weight as the thing I said of like, of course she would say that. Of course she would defend herself and lie, but you have to trust me. I'm not the one being committed here. So who are you going to trust more? Right. Um, so in reality, the way that you could get committed to an asylum was if somebody called a guy on you. Yeah. You just call somebody and say, hey, <laughs> take them away. Um Because, I mean, like you talked about, there's just no rhyme or reason to it. The idea of having mental health care did not, the science that they had didn't match up at all, right? So, like, there was this guise of, like, helping people or or whatever, but, like, they didn't know how. They didn't know how to do anything. And there's also, you know, the horrible thing, too, is I think a lot of it was, like, a, a proof uh, in the, like, it's very cyclical proof, I think is what I'm trying to say. Like, well, why are we committing you? Because we're here. Somebody called us. Mm-hmm. So, like, why would they call us if you didn't need committed, right? Mm-hmm. Like, so the evaluation process, it was, they're assumed guilty of, mm-hmm. like, well, clearly the person called us with cause, so we'll get... The idea being we'll get you to a facility and then evaluate. It's like, yeah, but once they're there... That then it's that much more difficult to prove, especially as you put someone in the horrible conditions, right? right? Where it's like they're not going to get act more rational as that happens, exactly. Right? They're going to get frustrated. They're going to get upset. They're going to like go through sleep deprivation and like hunger, and it's going to make them more erratic by the very nature of the facility. Now, I also want to stress, though, in all of this, I am a big fan of mental health professionals. There are plenty of people who are operating now today uh, as best they can in a system that is not always uh, designed to function well. And so this is not like anybody who tries to help with someone's mental health is boo. (laughs) That's not the case. But man, in any system, be it in 1800s, 1900s or now, there's always flaws in the system. Yeah, there's definitely room for improvement even today. But I mean, this is why. This is why the idea of an asylum is such like Halloween fodder, mm-hmm. right? It's it's just so spooky and kind of like incomprehensible to understand exactly what is happening at, at some of these places and what happened to some of these people. And it's very spooky, right? Well, and I think that a lot of that fear, if you want to like get to the heart of it, a lot of that fear is what we see represented in um you know movies and tv shows and books and in some cases historical fact is like people who have suddenly been downgraded from humanity from personhood to like no one will believe them uh no one's advocating for them no one is on their side like this feeling of but what if that happened to me and no one believed me? What if that happened to me and I was ignored? What if that happened to me and I was lost in the system, right? Mm-hmm. And this thing of, once again, I'll say again, still happens to people plenty, whether we're talking about mental health facilities, where we're talking about people experiencing homelessness, whether we're talking about people in the prison system. So like, there is a reason why you could make a movie about someone falsely accused going to prison and it will always be a movie that people will go see, right? Because I think that that is the scary thing. Right, yeah, that's, I mean, that's the the psychological, definitely the psychological, like, thriller part yeah. of a lot of, um, a lot of spooky tales and, and like, like I said, like haunted house fodder, right? Also, I think to jump back to Nellie Bly, 
the thing that makes that much more heroic to me is this thing of when you were talking about these facilities, it's so easy for it to be an out of sight, out of mind thing. Yeah. Of like, clearly people weren't talking about it already. It wasn't like everyone's interested in what's going on in these facilities. So I want to get in there because everyone's it. It's like, I think it's bad and no one's talking about it. Mm -hmm. And so I want to get in there and do an expose because that is the thing when we talk about these facilities, like I said, once you push someone off of like society's, you know, central radar, mm -hmm. then it's easy to be like, ah, okay. As you mentioned, this idea of like cleaning up the streets of this idea of like, you didn't do anything. Right. You just scooted everybody to the side and made it easier for people who wanted to pretend like it wasn't happening to ignore it. Right. right. And that is also scary. Right. Yeah. OK. Uh, so next week we will not be so, so scary. Uh, we'll talk about how to get out. Oh, OK, that'll help. Um, but thank you so much for listening. Thank you to our researcher and writer, Alex, without whom we would not be able to make the show. Thank you to our editor, Rachel, without whom we would not be able to make the show. And thank you for listening. We can make the show without you. But you know what? We wouldn't. Yeah, we couldn't. We I, couldn't make the show without you. I changed. I don't know. Maybe I'll feel I, different. I wouldn't do it. But. I, it would mean a lot to me if you kept coming back, please. Uh, <laughs> and telling your friends. Yeah, tell your friends, please. Share it on the social meds, the social meds, as they say. Nobody says that. <laughs> uh, thank you to Max Fun, our, our podcast home. If you want to check out all the cool McElroy merch, you can go to McElroyMerch.com. Uh, you can find out tour dates at bit.ly slash McElroy Tours. I'm going to be, uh, this is pre-recorded. I don't know how to tell you folks. This isn't live. I'm currently in the UK partying no, no. i'm doing D D at in castle uh which i'm very excited about uh teresa what else do we say we always thank brent Brentelfloss black for writing our theme music which is available as a ringtone where those are found we thank kayla m wassel for our twitter thumbnail art that's at schmanners cast and uh we will be going back to a, another format where we ask questions of the audience very shortly um so that is where you can follow us and get your questions answered um also thank you to bruja betty pinup photography for the cover picture of our fan run facebook group Schmanners Fanners. If you love to give and get excellent advice from other fans, that is where you should join today. Um, oh, yeah. Submit your topic ideas and your idioms and all that good stuff uh, to our email, schmannerscast at gmail.com and say hi to Alex because she reads every one. And that's going to do it for us. So join us again next week. No RSVP required. You've been listening to Schmanners. Schmanners Schmanners. Get it. MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.